we are starting a new series underneath the series. So we've been doing foundations, family, future, and finances, and that's going to be kind of the, the, the things we're going to be looking at this whole year, that we're all going to grow in that. But uh, today we're starting a thing under foundations, and uh, this is going to be for the next, I'd say, eight weeks, seven, eight weeks, and it's going to be around Christology, understanding, who knows what Christology is? Do you want to raise your hand? It's just, it's quite simple. It's just our understanding of Jesus that he's part of the, tr- the, tr- the Trinity, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that forever there's always been the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Julian spoke about it, and I think he gets this from an author called Richard Rohr, but it's just this, the dance of the Trinity, and, and at different times, the Son has preeminence, and at different times, the Holy Spirit, and at different times, God the Father, and then Jesus comes onto the scene, and he points back to the Father, and he points forward to the Spirit, and the Spirit points back to Jesus, which points back to the Father. There's just an incredible thing, of understanding the Trinity, God, three in one. Amazing. In community, and uh, I want us to grow in our Christology. It's a, it's a theological word about just understanding who Jesus is. And I think the more we fall in love with Jesus, what he did, the more our lives are going to carry purpose and mission absolutely every single day. It's not just we arrive at church on Friday, we get equipped here so we can go out and carry the purpose of Jesus. So this is under our foundations, Colossians 1.15. Do I sound okay in this microphone? Cool. Bruce is working on it. Colossians 1.15, it says, Christ is the visible image, say visible image, of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. If you read the rest of Colossians, it's not just what we see, but it's what we don't see. Christ was first. He was there before anything was created. He has always been, he has always, and he will always be the, the pinnacle of, of creation. And it says that everything is created through him. And we're going to be going through the seven I am statements in the book of John, looking at the seven um, signs and miracles that happened that Jesus was, John was an incredible man. He, he not only was an eyewitness account, he was the one that he says, basically, I'm Jesus' favorite disciple. Um, he says, uh, I mean, it's funny how John even writes about himself. He's like, I was, he's talking about those who are running towards Christ. I think it's towards the end of John. And he says that uh, he started to run and he beat Peter. He always just put himself first. It's quite, quite an interesting dude. But just absolutely in love with Jesus, but incredibly smart, incredibly theological. And if you look at the book of John, it's not just an eyewitness account, which is if you look at Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke of the synoptic gospels, those are very much eyewitness accounts just following the story where John had such an intentionality about why he wrote the book of John. And it very much mirrors the Genesis, it mirrors the story of Israel, and it even says that these things were written so we can look back at these seven signs, these seven things that Jesus did, the seven I am statements of Jesus, and it's going to point to him so we can ultimately believe. That is his intention. I think it's at the end of John he says that. Um, Let's just read one John, sorry, John 1 together. If you've got it in your Bibles, I don't have it behind me. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, Jesus is the Word. He's with God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus has always been, always will be. And we, need to, we have to have a, a massive view of who Jesus is because he is, he is the absolute center of creation. 
That's who we're going to worship. We're going to bow down to Jesus one day. He's going to come and he's going to set his, his foot on Jerusalem. He's going to bring a new heaven and a new earth. And there's just going to be that there's going to be no more pain, no more crying. Jesus is the victorious king. And I'm so grateful that we live this side of grace. That we live this side of the cross. We live this side of the resurrection. We could have been born in any time in history. We could have been born before Jesus came. We could have been born in the 400 silent years in Israel. From I think it's from Malachi all the way to when John the Baptist starts to preach. There were 400 silent years. There were just a faithful remnant that just kept following Jesus. But we live in a time where we can enter boldly into the presence of God. I love what Julian said last week. Is that we're moving from a place of visitation to habitation. That, that God himself is with us. He's in our community groups. I heard such an amazing thing this week. I think it was Sean and Tato's group. Bruce and Danae went there, spoke a little bit about the prophetic. There were 35 people. In some countries, that's the size of a church. And you just think that's happening midweek. Like what, God is doing something. God is up to something. Jesus is being glorified in the city through you and through our. Does that even make sense? You and through our, anyway. So the I am statements of Jesus, and there's going to be different guys teaching on this over the next couple of weeks, except for I think Ryan's going to talk on baptism next week because we're baptizing people next week. So if you haven't been baptized, you've given your life to Jesus, but you haven't been baptized, get ready to be baptized. Even if you're like on the edge, just bring your baptism clothes, and then Ryan will convince you and push you over. Okay. (laughs) So the I am statements, and you'll see this throughout the book of John. It says, Jesus says, I am the bread of life, which I'm covering today. I'm the light of the world. I'm the gate for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the true vine. No other religious leader, if you want to put it in those terms, has ever said that about himself. The way, the truth, and the life. It's always like, I'm part of the way. I've got, and if you look at Jesus, he's, there's, a, there's an exclusivity about who he is and who he calls to follow him, but it's open to absolutely everyone who's saying, I'll follow Jesus. We had the privilege of leading a young girl straight after the meeting to Jesus. She came up, she goes, I've been coming for about eight, nine weeks. I'm from a different uh, framework and religion, and, and I'm just like, I'm giving my life to Jesus this morning. Can we just celebrate that? Amazing. So Sal and I prayed for her. I just spoke, I said, God loves you, and she just started to cry. I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. This is, what, this is why we do this. It's just people who don't know him get to experience the fullness and the love and the grace of Jesus. So when Jesus said, I am, in the Jewish mind, they would have immediately gone back to Exodus 3. And uh, Moses is at the burning bush, and he's standing there, and God says, take off your shoes, for you're standing on holy ground. He takes off his shoes. He's from a, and, he, and at that stage, the, the, the Israelite people were in, um, were in bondage in, Israel, and, sorry, in Egypt for 400 years. They had been crying out for a liberator. Moses had, was a prince in, in, uh, in, in Egypt, got moved, moved out after he killed someone or tried to kill someone and, and moved out, went to Midian. God calls him in this place and just says, there's this burning bush. And then Moses goes up to, him, uh, up to the burning bush, this invisible God, and says, Okay, cool, you're asking me to liberate the Israelite people, but who must I say sent me? And God's reply to him was this, I am that I am. It's not the answer you want. You want, okay, cool, that's great. Is that a name? And it's, uh, what is the name for it? The te- 
tetragrammaton. But if you look at in the Hebrew um, literature, they, they wouldn't even mention the name. It's Y-H-W-H. We've made it Yahweh. We've, we've added vowels to it. Uh, some people have changed it to Jehovah. And, uh, which, and in some versions, they say Lord. But it's, it was almost, in, 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 if, you're, if you're in the Hebrew culture, you wouldn't even mention that name. Because it's so holy, so reverent. There's a lot of mystery surrounded by that name. And what would start to happen is that God would reveal himself. He says, I am Jehovah Jireh. You'll see that, I think it's in Genesis 22. And that, that basically means, Jireh means provider. It made really bad 80s songs, 80s Christian songs. If you grew up in the church in that time, it was, come Andre, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Grace is sufficient for me. Who, who knows that? Or is that just me? Okay. Praveen wanted to bring that song back. I said, no, it's not happening. And, um, and then we'd all just get into like a big like circle and we'd do like a, a, a dance. And it was just, you know, like at those, yeah, you know. <laughs> we don't, thankfully, the church has kind of moved on to creativity and we're pioneering new things, you know. But I kind of, my church that I got saved into was still a little bit in that in the early 2000s. So they were about 20 years behind. But anyway, what it is what it is. And, um. But you have all these different things. You have these different names that God reveals himself. It's Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Raha, which means Jehovah my shepherd. And it's almost like as God revealed himself, then they would make another name. And then God would reveal himself about something else. And then they'd make another name for him. It's like, I am that I am the shepherd. Jehovah Jireh. And, uh, and it's almost like the way I started to think about this is that if... If you came up to me and you didn't know me or Starla, but you started to ask about Starla, I would describe her in such a way that you would love to meet her. So she's perfect. Uh, she has the best face I've ever seen. Um, she has the best personality. She, I, we, I just love hanging. I mean, I would paint a picture of something of that you would want to meet. And I feel like something of the Old Testament does that. It, it paints a picture to, to the people of Israel saying that they pointed to a Messiah that eventually is going to come. And it was the fulfillment was found in Jesus Christ. And he was better than we could ever imagine. He still is better than we can ever imagine. In John's gospel, you have seven signs linked in some ways to these seven miracles. And John writes in John 20 verse 30, it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, the seven signs, that you may believe in Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. God wants to give life to you. And I think so often our understanding of John 3.16 and John 10.10 is that we're going to get life when we die. No, the moment you step, you give your life to Jesus, you step into eternity. John Ortberg wrote an incredible book, which I'm listening to at the moment, but it says eternity is now in session. It doesn't happen one day when you die. The moment you give your life to Jesus, you step into eternity. You become an eternal being the moment you follow Jesus. And eventually that's just going to end in, in death, but then you're going to be resurrected again. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, which is incredible. But Jesus has these few things. And every time that he performs a miracle or he speaks about something, there's, there's, there's an action backed, backed up to what he's speaking. So he says, I'm the vine, John 15. But before that, I think it's in John 2, his first miracle was turning water into wine. Jesus is saying, I'm the source of all fruitfulness. I'm going to teach you about it later, but here I'm going to demonstrate that I'm going to bring the new wine of the new covenant into this life, and I'm the source of that place. And he teaches, I'm on the bread of life, but before that happens, he takes a packed lunch of five loaves and two fishes, 
and he multiplies it to about 10, 15,000 people. He gives thanks. And then he says, after that, he says, I am the bread of life, which we'll be talking today. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he goes and says, cool, I'm not just going to talk about it. It's not just going to be head knowledge, but it's going to come into practicality. And he goes and raises Lazarus from the dead, and he's been in the grave for three days. Incredible. We get, that's why I believe Christianity that is, not, is, that is just proclamation is only half the truth. It has to be proclamation and demonstration. Sometimes Jesus did the demonstration first, then the proclamation came afterwards. Sometimes the proclamation was first, then the demonstration came afterwards. It doesn't matter, but I believe that it has to be both. In our first meeting, we just, we took the, the bread and the juice and we, and we broke, we're going to do it at the end of this meeting. It was just such a holy moment. There was, there's a demonstration of God's love amongst us. And people, I believe, were healed. I, f- I thought God gave me a few words about God just healing certain things in the room. We prayed for two people afterwards. We believe that healing came. It has to be proclamation and demonstration. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Can we turn to John 6? <coughs> Excuse me. Shouldn't have coughed in the mic. Might have to sanitize this thing after. John 6. John 6. After this 6 verse 1, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee. A huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was performing by healing the sick. Jesus went up a mountain and sat down with his disciples. Verse 4, now the, the Passover, a Jewish festival was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd that was coming towards him, he asked Philip, where will we buy the bread so that people can eat? Verse 6, he says, he asked them to test He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. The miracle there is Jesus takes Peter, I think it's Peter, someone finds, yeah, Simon Peter. He finds this little boy has a packed lunch of five loaves and two fishes. He takes it to Jesus. Jesus lifts it up to the Father, gives thanks, multiplies. There were 12 basketfuls left. This multiplication of God. Let's go to, um, I just want to skip out a few things. Let's go to verse 32, 6 verse 32. Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. These people are asking the story, how does this happen? For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. This is Jesus. Verse 35. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. That's incredible. It's not a physical hunger because that's, that's not true. It's, it's a spiritual hunger. And I'm going to talk a little bit later about how there's a yearning inside everyone's heart for the spiritual hunger, for something to be filled inside of us. But as I've told you, you've seen me and you do not believe. Everyone, uh, everyone the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of these he has given me, that I should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. He's talking about the resurrection. Verse 47, truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. Jesus is trying to, Get something across here. Yeah? I am the bread of life. 
Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone who eats this bread, they will live forever. The bread that I will give uh, for the life of this world is my flesh. Incredible. It speaks a little bit later about Jesus saying that you have to eat my, you have to eat, eat my body and drink my blood, which is quite a, if you're reading that without a commentary or just like an, an, an understanding what Jesus was saying there or like hindsight of 2,000 years of Christianity, you'll be like, okay, what is Jesus saying there? It's what we're going to do at the end. It's us taking the Lord's Supper. It's a, it's a representation of Jesus' body and his blood that was shed for us. And as we take that into our lives, it begins to change us, mold us to become like him. If you look at the, the story of Israel, Israel was obviously enslaved. They came through the Red Sea, through the waters. Uh, while, there was 40 years while they were in, desert, in the desert. God sustained them with, with manna from heaven, um, which is just this kind of bready, I don't know what kind of substance they said. It was like a sticky substance. Um, and then it sustained them for 40 years. There was manna, there was quail. God looked after them. But now if you look at Jesus comes along and he, he comes out of Egypt because he was actually banished to Egypt when he was a boy by King Herod because they were killing all the boys of the same age. He comes out of Egypt. He, he passes through the waters of baptism, which Ryan's going to talk on next week. He comes, he spends 40 days in the desert representing or mirroring something of the people of Israel. He comes and he, and he dies on the cross for us and then he, he enters us into the promised land, into our new life. Jesus comes in absolute parallel to what happened in the people of Israel. And the manna that Jesus brings is what he's doing here. This bread of heaven. It says, if you eat this bread of heaven, you will live forever. Simplified as this. Give your life to Jesus, follow after him and it'll fill something deep in your soul. I love bread. Okay, apparently I sneezed on these in the last meeting. I, I don't even remember it. My wife told me I wouldn't eat it. Okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put it out there. It's okay for me to eat. But who likes bread? If you don't put your hand up, we know that this is church. I watched something yesterday on um, uh, this this special butter making place in Normandy, and they put uh, seaweed and little like salt crystals in the butter, and literally that's just they put on bread. I'm like, is there anything better than bread and butter? on a French baguette made in France, and I can tell you it's different, okay? It's not Spinney's baguette. That thing is nice, but it's not French, okay? Come on, you're from France, obviously, yeah. <laughs> I can't speak French. I was going to do fake French, but it wouldn't, wouldn't have gone down well. Um, but I, I think there's, there's something in that. It's like in every generation, in every culture, everyone has their sense of bread. Like, like it's either physical bread or if it's in different cultures, it's, it's maize and whatever it is. But there's something that fills you up and makes you feel full and satisfied. Pasta is not pasta if you don't have that piece of bread afterwards that you can dip up the rest of the sauce. Okay, let's be honest. Soup is a waste of time without bread. It's just a liquid. Because bread is the fulfillment of that. You still feel good because you're like, I'm having soup, but you also had like a half a loaf of uh, bread as well with your soup or toast or whatever it is. And I know that some people, oh, I have gluten, this and that. Okay, then just eat healthy bread, okay? Because bread is a gift from heaven. And I, I love that. I, I love that Jesus talks straight into that culture. We were in, in Israel a couple, 10 years ago now. And uh, the bread is like pizza bread, but it's not like the pizza bread here where it's nice for like 10 minutes and then it goes hard and crusty. 
there it's like soft. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is the same recipe and the same flour that Jesus had. At least I like to think it in my mind, you know. And Jesus paints a picture. He says, I am the bread of life. He's like, I'm the thing that's going to fill you up. I'm going to give you, there's going to be a deep satisfaction inside of your heart. Someone says this, we're all beautiful. We are all broken, but yet we are infinitely loved. God sees humanity. Jesus looks over Jerusalem and he weeps. God weeps over humanity and sees the brokenness. And yet humanity has been running away from the thing and the very source of life. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been running from Jesus. He's not going to try to make you conform to something or be something. He's saying, just follow me. Lay everything down at my feet. Because I will bring such a deep satisfaction in your life. The modern day philosopher, John Mayer, says this, something's missing. Something's missing. Started to high. And I don't know what it is. What did he say? Money. Anyway, that's a great song. Okay, 2001, Room for Squares. That, that album will change your life. Mick Jagger in the 60s, part of the Rolling Stones, he says, I can't get no satisfaction. I have to say, I can't. It just sounds better. I can't get no satisfaction. We all have this deep void in our hearts, if we're honest. Even as followers of Jesus at times, there's a, there's, sometimes we know the bread, but we don't go for the bread, we go for the fake. And if I had to have two things, if I had to have a Shake Shack burger, sitting here, double Shake Shack with fried onions, tomato, a little bit of shack sauce sitting there, but then I've had a McDonald's, who would choose the McDonald's? Unless you're addicted, okay, because then you've got other issues in your life. Most of the time, we, if you were given the choice, you would choose the real beef, which they say is like got no hormones in it. Potato roll. Can we just give a shout for potato roll? It's a soft bun. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I clearly like food. What's, what's wrong with me? Um, but we'd go for the real thing. So often as followers of Jesus, we so settle for the fake. But God's saying there is real bread. If you don't know Jesus, there's, there's something that we, we, we watch another Netflix, Netflix series. We go to another restaurant. We have another night out. We, we have another partner, partner that we sleep with. We do all of these things and we are left unsatisfied. There's a deep yearning in everyone's heart that we need. There's something missing. St. Augustine, Augustine, before he became a, before he became a saint, was, what are you talking about, dude? Um, before he became a saint, his name was Augustine, something or the other. And uh, he got saved, he found Jesus, and he says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. I'm going to say that again, because I know you guys aren't concentrating. You made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. Blaise Pascal, famous philosopher, said, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. We try to fill that void with everything. We try to fill it with life. We try to fill it with addictions. And everyone has their own thing that if it's drinking, workaholism, uh, codependent relationships, gambling, whatever it is, we're trying to fill this void that that is, there's a brokenness inside of us. And Jesus comes and says, if you eat of me, which means if you just 
give your life to me. Follow me. Surrender your life to me. There'll be a deep satisfaction that comes to your heart. The only healing that'll come is through Jesus Christ. We all have core, deep values, sorry, core and deep longings in our hearts. We want to be known, we want to be valued, and we want to be included. But we live in a world often that makes us feel unknown, unvalued, invisible, worthless, excluded. And Jesus, can I say Jesus will, has never and will never reject you. If you've been rejected as a child, you've been rejected in your past, you've been rejected at school, if you didn't quite fit in the mold that the world was telling you to fit into and you were rejected, Jesus never rejects you. And if you look at who Jesus was and who he went after, he went for those who were rejected by society, the lepers. He went for the prostitutes. He went for the tax collectors, which actually were the guys who sided with Rome. So he actually went to the, the enemies of, of Israel and he says, come and follow me. That's, that's the God we serve. That is the one who's calling us out. There's this sense, I don't know if you guys have ever felt it, but ever since from like, as long as I can remember, grade three, grade four, there was the cool group. And if you weren't in that cool group of the four or five people, Marco was part of the cool group. Uh, but if you weren't part of that four or five people, it's like you're always kind of living to attain something. I remember my sister, she struggled a lot in her life and she's come so far and she won't mind me saying this, but she struggled a lot with, around self-worth. And it almost feels like she got to high school, she didn't fit in. She always tried to live up to something, always tried to be like, oh, those are the popular kids, those are the kids that have it all together. And it's like she had this low self-worth that is like deep inside of her and God's thankfully over the years healed that and she's secure in who she is. We all need to get secure in who we are. But I wish I had known now, and I wish my sister had known what I know now, is that all of that stuff doesn't matter. That is the way the world works. There's this exclusive club that you always think you always have to try to attain, attain to. So even now, we're like, there's like, you can go to an exclusive golf club, or you go to like, you go to like a fancy restaurant, but then there's another room inside that fancy restaurant that's for even more exclusivity. And then in Dubai, it's not just VIP, it's VVIP. Like very, very important people. I'm like, who gets to decide that stuff? And it paints a picture of us trying to attain something the whole time where we need to learn how to just rest in Jesus. Find our deep security in this longing and this aching in our heart that we're gonna try to get from other things, from social media, or whatever it is. We can find it in Jesus Christ alone that he is good enough, that he satisfies the deepest longings of my heart. So I've got three quick points. Number one, I am known. I am known. So Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And because he says that, he says, I am known. Can we just look at Psalm 139, incredible scripture written by David. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. So I did a bit of research on how many grains of sand there is. Now, see, this is not 100% accurate. Those are quantity surveyors amongst us. Um, but they say that it is seven quintillion, 500 quadrillion grains of sand on the earth if you had to take it cumulatively. They're saying in, a, in, a, in like a square kind of cube meter of, of sand, there's billions of pieces of sand in there. And that is, so if you had to write it out, it's 700 with 3, 6, 9, 12, 
15, 18 zeros on the end of that. And it says that God's thoughts outnumber that. If you're wondering if God's thinking about you now, he is. Right now, he's thinking about you, Vaughn. No, no, he's thinking about you. Gil, not all the time. <laughs> no, just kidding. He loves you with an unending love. He doesn't stop, like, those early days of, of dating Starla, I'd say, and it hasn't really changed, but I, I've got to be honest, like, there was like, there was no other focus. My, my only thought was towards her, and how can I just get married to her or be alone with her? And I, that, so every thought was consumed, and it still is now. She knows that. She even says, Dan, you're too much now. Just give me, I need alone time. Um, but God doesn't want to be with someone he doesn't think about and cares about and loves and values and knows. It says in Matthew 10, 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. Two little sparrows fall to the ground, God knows it. He knows... Uh, Sorry, and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. We have to sometimes just meditate on God's word. If you're struggling with self-worth, if you're struggling about like being forgotten and known, you know that there is, um, out of the billions of people on this, on this planet, you one of the billion, okay? But half the world is under 16. How are you going to stand out? You don't have to. God knows you. He knows every part of you. He knows the hair on your head. And, uh, and the joke is that some people, God doesn't have to count for very long, but others he has to count for a little bit longer. Psalm 56 says, You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. I want to get to that book one day and stand before God and say, God, can you show me that book? That he cares about every single thing we do. He absolutely cares about you. He loves you. You're known by the Father in heaven. If you've had a bad earthly father, I'm so sorry. Our Father in heaven is utterly perfect and he thinks about you and he's obsessed with you and, he, and he, he's just in love. That's why our church, as much as we are flawed, broken people, we need to example this. We need to example that people are known, that people walk through that door. And it's why we're so strong on having a greeting team, not just be like fake, like genuinely, you are known, you are loved, and you're accepted by our Father. The second thing is that I am valued. 1 John 3 verse 1, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that we do not know, is that they do not know Him. And if you look at the word for lavish, it's to, it's to bestow something in generous, sorry, something in generous or extravagant quantities upon, to give freely, spend, expand, heap, shower, pour, deluge, give generously. We used to um, go to, we used to camp in the Drakensberg in South Africa and uh, loved it, but there's always like a waterfall that you would find and you'd go stand under a waterfall. I don't know if anyone's ever stood, you don't want to go stand under a heavy waterfall, that's not wise. Um, just one that you know will kind of, and it's just like the, the waterfall hits you on your head and you're just like, that is, the, that is the lavishness of God. It just keeps coming. It doesn't end. It doesn't end. And you're like, okay, cool. Someone's going to turn the tap off. God never turns his tap off over your life. 
there's just the lavishness of God. No matter what you've done, no matter what you're walking through, God's love. And isn't it incredible that God's love is what leads us to repentance? It's His love. This deep love in our hearts. It's not through a, a whip. God doesn't work like that. It's actually the more love He pours out upon you, the more you realize, oh, God, I've messed up. I've done this thing. I'm not going to act like that. I'm not going to do that thing anymore. I'm going to repent because your love is so good and you're so kind. My dad always had time for me, my earthly dad. I was valued by him. He would make me tree houses. He would fix bikes for me. He would spend, and that's how much, if that's my earthly father, how much more a father in heaven. Mayo Clinic updated the values of our bodies recently. And if you had to take it into monetary value, they'd say that we are in total worth, if you had to take the kind of elements in our body, we are, we are worth $4.50 in, in earthly terms. $3.50 for your skin. Obviously, that's more of more value. I don't know why. And then $1 for the rest. Can you say our Father in Heaven is so sees you so infinitely more that he that the only thing that he that he would that he would do to express his love to you was to send his son. Not to give you stuff, not to pour out anything, but he sent his son to you. That's the only thing that cost him. And then the third thing, third point is that I am included. Just go uh, Google in Christ and uh, in Christ scriptures and just go read that over yourselves, but you'll see that I am adopted, I am chosen. I'm wanted, I have new power, I have a new heart, I have a new nature. God's included you. God's included you. I was part of a, a water polo team in my under 16 year. There was times where I did feel rejected at school and we all walked through that. Don't have any deep wounds or anything. That's just part of life. You just have to deal with those things. But I remember in under 16, I, uh, we were like this unbeatable water polo team. I was part of a crew. And, uh, but those moments are quite rare in life actually. That I want you to know that you are valued, that you are included right now. God has not for one second excluded you. If there's a team to choose, he's choosing you first. And then he's choosing someone else first. Like there's, there's no losing in the kingdom of God. You are all included. You're all part of it. We watched this movie, uh, Instant Family. Who's watched that yet? Quite a cool movie. Some spoilers coming, but... You just read the write-up and you'll get all the spoilers. But basically, there's this family, a husband and wife, they decide to foster kids in America of a different nationality. And they come in and the kids are like broken. The one kid's crying all the time. The other one's just like acting up. And, and it was just uh, this incredible story of how this family just loved on them and eventually like adopted them. And I remember when I was in probably about 12, 13, my mom tried to foster care a little girl that was possibly going to be adopted into our family. And she stayed with us for a few nights and it didn't end up working out because she went back to her parents. I don't know the whole story, what happened with her. But I remember those nights when she did stay at our house. It was traumatic. My mom was up in the middle of the night. She was crying. And I was quite young then, so I didn't know the whole story. But obviously it was, there was abuse. There was stuff that my mom was dealing with. My mom's a trained teacher and she knows how to deal with those things. But it was traumatic. And I, can I say that you don't have to be perfect to come and be involved in City Lights. Because we, we serve a God that is perfect, that, that will love you right. That will just take all of your brokenness and he'll just keep showering and lavishing his love upon you until eventually you just say, oh, you click over. And the change begins to come from an inside place, not an external place. Could the worship or just Bruce and Mario come up?